0: Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit sovereigninsurance.ca to learn more. Diversify. Don't just put all your eggs in one export market, think about what other export markets you could do well at, and EDC will help you figure that out. With Export Development Canada, doing business abroad doesn't need to be risky. We take on the risks, so you can think bigger and grow confidently. EDC, take on the world.
1: listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital mentorship training tools and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community and subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Komal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit KAUR.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. Today's special guest is Laura Forti, the co-founder and CMO for Retium Blockchain Technologies, which is a real estate equity crowdfunding marketplace and compliance engine. Retium utilizes blockchain technology and smart contracts to allow anyone to invest into income-producing properties for as little as $100, enabling real estate for everyone. Boasting over $830 million in real estate assets committed to trade on its global platform accessible from any device, Laura and her team have raised a total of $700,000 and growing from their first round of funding and has key industry partnerships with companies like IBM and Real Estate Intelligence Network. As a real estate entrepreneur, Laura has bought, managed, renovated, and sold her own investment properties, as well as invested in REITs and Mix. As the daughter of a realtor, Laura grew up with entrepreneurial parents who also owned a successful property management company. Laura is a former journalist and writer in the real estate sector whose earlier days included starting a digital marketing agency, which specialized in internet marketing, enabling startups and SMEs to grow from ideation to multi-million dollar revenues. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you. I would love to dive right into what got you here and and what the ethos was behind you becoming an entrepreneur? And my parents were also in business. And I know the impacts that that can have on us as we grow into becoming entrepreneurs. So can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to see your parents as entrepreneurs and how that inspired you?
2: Yeah. So, you know, growing up, obviously, I didn't really understand what entrepreneurship was or what owning a business was really all about. And as a kid, it was not that great. To be honest, it was uh, it was a struggle. Um, when all of my friends' parents uh, had stable jobs and you know had they had the things that they they wanted all the time, my parents, you know, some months we would have a lot of money and some months we would not have much. Uh, as it goes with owning a business and being an entrepreneur. So when I was a kid, I I thought it was kind of embarrassing and didn't really like it to be honest. But now that I'm older, I see probably in my teens, I started to see that they had so much freedom. They got to choose whatever they wanted to do. They didn't have to commute. I'm from Ontario. They didn't have to do the one-hour commute to the big city in Toronto. Uh, you know, they were able to be at my sports games all the time. I was. They were able to take me out for lunch during the school day, which nobody else's parents had that. So when I saw the other side of it, the freedom side, I realized that this was the best thing that I would want for my future as well, in terms of having that accessibility and the flexibility to do what I want when I want, basically.
1: And what got you to that moment? Um, what was life like prior to taking the leap and starting your first business?
2: Um, well, I've, I've kind of always been an entrepreneur. Um, I've never really had a typical job. I, I was a waitress for a while in university, but I i believe that waitressing is still sort of an entrepreneurship role um i mean if you don't pick up the slack and and work harder it, it comes out it, it, it's your performance is based on how much money you make so it's it's different to having a role where you can just show up every single day and know your exact salary so even the jobs that i've had they've been very determinant on my performance Um, so probably in my twenties, mid twenties is when I started my first company. So I started a, 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 information product company. We started selling information products online and it was right around the time when, uh, all the social medias were new. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. around 2006, 2007, all these things were brand new and I wanted to have laptop lifestyle and I moved to Australia at the time and just wanted to work from the beach and and have the freedom to do that. So I was taking journalism in school at the time and my master's there in Australia. And on the side, I was creating this information products that I was selling online.
1: The ultimate uh, freedom lifestyle, as you said, And so when you started dabbling in real estate and getting into this field, can you tell us a little bit about what that transition was like?
2: So I bought my first property. I bought two at the exact same time, which is kind of a bit crazy, actually. So I bought two two multifamily residential. So I bought two triplexes in Ontario um, near a university and one near a downtown core. And... It was this is a couple of years ago, only about seven, six, seven years ago, and I didn't know what I was doing. I've never owned properties myself. I've never been a landlord. My parents had growing up, so I understood the processes, but they did not teach me or help me with that. Uh, so it was basically learning on my own, like how to hire a property manager, how to find tenants, all that kind of thing. So, long story short, I bought these properties, filled them with tenants. Um, my my goal was to uh, flip them. So I held on for about 18 months, renovated them myself. So I ran a team. I did a lot of the work myself as well. And then I flipped them for a very nice profit. Um, I want to get back into that again and do that, but it's it's literally a full-time job.
1: Truly. And especially because you become project manager of so many different parts of it in terms of getting the tenants in, overseeing the construct, um, and then also the sales aspect of it. So it's they become their own little businesses each each of the properties
2: yeah definitely and and I was actually losing money so I was losing I don't know like a hundred dollars a month it wasn't a lot but I was out of pocket every month and you know there was a month where one or two of the tenants didn't pay me so then you know it got very expensive and I guess a little bit scary um, in the monthly payments but you know I I wasn't really concerned with that because I knew my my long term play was not a rental dividend. It was the appreciation when I sold Um, and I almost doubled my money. So that was to me. That was the big payoff. It was like, hold your breath for 18 months, do all these things, put a new roof on, you know, renovate basements, this kind of thing, and then uh, and then sell it for a profit.
1: And getting into real estate, especially with two properties right out of the gate, can be something that is that is very high risk. So how did you stomach that right out of the gate? Um, What what did you do? Like what what helped you to kind of make that decision and stick through it as you did?
2: Well, Real estate is, in my opinion, it's it's one of the most solid asset classes in the world. It's something very stable. I bought in a market that I knew I had done my due diligence and done my research. And I bought in an area, for example, near a university and near a downtown core. So I bought in two areas that were always going to be recession proof. They were always going to need tenants, that kind of thing. So I, I also bought in it. I didn't buy in Toronto. I bought in a city called Hamilton, which was the sort of little brother to Toronto. And I knew that a lot of people were moving from the big city to this city as well. So I knew that in a couple of years, it was going to go up a lot in value. Um, incidentally, those properties have now more than doubled yet again. So it's always, it's always the cardinal sin is selling real estate. Right. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: But also you need to get the cash out, uh, so that you can go elsewhere, especially in the beginning. So I think one of the best investment advice that I got was like, you can't look back at what you left on the table. Like when you make the decision it's made and you move forward.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: And so after selling those first two properties, um, you are now CMO of Redium or Retium. How did that come to be? How did how did this next big leap come into your life?
2: So I lived abroad for about a decade. I lived in Australia and then I lived in the UK and um, I, I moved away from the UK a couple of years ago and I moved to Vancouver, which is where I live now. And I, when I moved here, I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go. I had my digital marketing agency, but I wanted to try something new. So I got heavily involved in the startup scene, which is amazing on the West Coast. Um, it's, It's gotten a lot better in Toronto as well. But, you know, I had moved away about 13 years ago now from Toronto. So... I didn't really know the startup scene. So I was dabbling there. I was going to every single event. Um, I was learning what a hackathon was. <laughs> and so I had an idea for a travel app. I, I traveled a lot and my friends traveled a lot. And I we had an idea that we were going to create this app so you could connect with your friends while you're traveling abroad. So... I took the idea to a friend he came on board and then we were looking for someone to help us develop the idea and so we found a developer which which we thought was going to be a good fit and so the three of us worked together on this travel app so we did that for about eight months and one of the guys and i ended up going into a hackathon right around that time and we had an idea to use blockchain and real estate to fractionalize the ownership and we ended up winning that hackathon, and we took the idea to our third travel app co-founder, and the three of us ran with that. So we actually met over doing a travel app for the prior eight months before we started Retium. So once we realized that we were onto a home run with this idea, we obviously pivoted. Um, we had It was only a passion project, the travel app, uh, but after about four months of iterating the idea for Retium, all of us were able to put our energies into it full time
1: it's amazing the spontaneity and just sort of like the right next steps that can lead to the right idea. And when could you share uh, with our audience a little bit more granularly what exactly Retium is?
2: Yeah, sure. So we live in an expensive city, Vancouver, Toronto's expensive. A lot of the cities in America around the world are are quite expensive now. And, you know, by 2050, 70% of the world's population It's projected that they are going to live in urban environments, in cities. What that means is that people aren't going to be able to afford to buy real estate outright. People don't really want to live in the burbs anymore, cut grass. They want, you know, I'm talking about the younger generation, but they want laptop lifestyle. They want to be able to travel. They want turnkey. They want to lock their door and leave and not have to worry. So what we've we've seen as a result of that is everything's become incredibly expensive. So people can't get in. They're being priced out. Our friends are millennials, Gen Z, um, but it, this goes for anybody, is that they can't get in. So we wanted to create a way that everyone can afford to own a piece of property. So you own a portion of a property or a fund, whatever you decide to put your investment dollars into, and you earn a rental income each month. The properties are rented out, and then when you decide to sell the shares that you own or all of the shares that you own in that property, you get the market appreciation. So if the market's gone up, you've held on for five years, the market's gone up, you also earn what the market has increased.
1: So is there any uh, cap on the amount of time or like minimum amount of time people have to get in for when they do invest on the platform?
2: Yeah, so that's a good question. So it depends if you're an accredited investor or a non-accredited investor and the majority of the population is non-accredited, which means you make less than two hundred thousand dollars a year in income, uh, or you have less than one million dollars, or sorry, yeah, less than one million dollars in liquid assets, not including real estate. Uh, so that's cash, stocks, bonds, RRSPs, TFSA's, that kind of thing. So if you fall under that category, the minimum hold period is one year. And you do have a maximum, uh, depending on the province you live in, you have a maximum of what you're allowed to invest. For Ontario, it's ten thousand dollars a year. Um, for BC, it's uh, fifteen hundred dollars per property, and I can't remember the maximum, but it's it's similar to the Ontario.
1: For, I just I'm a total fangirl right now because this is brilliant, and I'm actually looking personally to diversify even more into real estate. And we live in the country; we're kind of the antithesis of the the turnkey lifestyle, um, but It is such a huge endeavor to start thinking about getting into real estate and property ownership. And this just totally democratizes it for people.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the old ways, you know, when we look at technology and we look at technology across the board, the old ways of doing things are being shifted by the younger generation, that, that's that's just life. Basically, everything has to change to some degree. So it's exciting for us to be able to offer something that everybody can feel a part of. You know, whether you live in sub-Saharan Africa and have a hundred dollars, or whether you're a millennial in Vancouver, everybody is treated equal. It doesn't matter to us. You can have no credit, bad credit, good credit. You know, lots of university debt. It doesn't matter as long as you have the investment dollars to be able to put in. So if you look at the current home buying process, you know, ideally you need about 20% down of a purchase price in Vancouver. The average property is let's say 800,000. And then you need to get pre-approved for a mortgage, which can take up to three months. Then you need to find a property you want to move into. Um, You know, so a lot of those things are very daunting, takes a lot of time and all of your money would be tied up into that one asset. So the thing is like, even if you were to get into an $800,000 property, that's going to be quite a hefty mortgage and you could potentially rent a similar property for a fraction of, of what you would pay in, in mortgage. So, I mean, obviously owning property is one of the best investments that exists, but it's, it comes at a cost, of course, right? And the sacrifice. So not everybody's willing to do that or they can they have the ability to do that?
1: Absolutely, and it just becomes so hard for people to try and wrap their head around how to get involved. And so Retium is such a wonderful option for them. So in your bio, um, you shared that Retium has over $830 million in real estate assets committed to trade on the platform. So can you share a little bit about what that process of bringing um, properties onto the platform was like and is like?
2: Yeah, sure. So we vet all the properties. So um, it's not something where anybody can just throw up their property. We have an investment committee that vets the properties and decides if it's actually going to be a good investment for um, their investors. And so we've been on the road the last 18 months. We've been to 30 conferences across nine countries in 17 cities. Wow. And it's it's been incredible. So as a result of that, we've signed $830 million worth of letters of intent of properties that want to come onto our platform that we have vetted Personally, um, and that we've agreed to bring on. So our platform's still pre-launch. We're about four weeks away, roughly. Um, our tech is developed. We are actually a security in terms of laws and in terms of trading. So we're we're writing some exams right now and finalizing that on the legal side. But. For example, with let's just use an example in the 830 million, uh, we have a hotel group out in uh, Hawaii. They're called the Four Seasons. Obviously, everybody knows the Four yeah. Seasons. <laughs> I like that. That uh, was so, so cash. The Four Seasons. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know if if you saw or if any of the listeners saw an article about two weeks ago put out. I can't remember who published the article, but uh, it was about the Marriott, and they're they're now doing a luxury vacation homes that they're converting some of their properties and some of the units within buildings that they own um, to compete with the Airbnb type model. Okay. So, yeah, so so, so a lot of hotels, um, you know, potentially are having trouble, that kind of thing. So they're needing to look to a different avenue to compete. So that's what uh, the Four Seasons is doing as well. And they're actually, um, they're taking the top seven floors of their 14-story unit Uh, building and um, they're looking to create those into uh, luxury vacation rental homes and selling them for, you know, between one and three million roughly. So what they'd like to do through us is put some of those onto our platform, put some of the units on the platform and allow everyone to invest so they could allow their hotel staff to own part of the building that they work in, for example. Um, the locals in the neighborhood in Oahu to own a piece of that property. Maybe it's just $100, maybe it's $10,000 to allow anybody in other countries, Canada or wherever, Japan, let's say, to own a portion of those properties as well. So when we look at our partners, we have partners and we've created those partnerships with people who have a very strong name and are very trusted Uh, Out there already, so that's actually helped us in terms of marketing, in terms of branding, and seeing um, the crowd flock to what we're offering. So currently, we have about ten thousand people on our waiting list, people who are ready to invest once we go live.
1: It's huge. I mean, especially with any marketplace, uh, that's always the risk: is how are we going to incentivize the users? But just with the brand integrity, the trust, like it, it. I'm super excited to see how this, uh, how the launch goes and how the growth goes for you guys. So it's, uh, it's very exciting to see this coming out of Canada and out of Vancouver. So Mm -hmm. kudos to you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I mean, historically the real estate market, it has, it is predominantly male, and I would love if you could share a little bit about what your experience has been navigating the space as a woman. Has it has it been difficult? Have there been challenges that you've had to overcome in this way, um, and what has that been like?
2: Yeah, so we are we are a real estate company, but we're also a technology company. So yeah, both of those industries are predominantly male, especially when it comes to um, the investor side. So you know, I think for myself. I feel like the last year to two years, a lot of press, a lot of things have been changing around females in the workplace, uh, female founders. I was actually at a breakfast um, recently and it was talking about a female founders fund that uh, the BDC, the B- Business Development Bank of Canada, has created um, I can't remember the exact number, it's, but it's, I, th- I think it's a $100 million fund. And they are specifically allocating those funds to female founders or someone on the C-suite, um, which is incredible. So we are seeing a lot of that come up, and that's very exciting. Um, I'm excited for the day where we don't have to say, oh, this is a women in tech event. This is a women's only panel. I'm excited for the day when it's, here's a panel. Oh, there's women on it. There's no big deal. We were um, at collision earlier this year in Toronto at the first time that it's actually ever been in Canada. It's mm-hmm. a little brother to web Summit um, massive largest, massive event huge. it was it was incredible. Um and it was probably fifty percent women, which is, you know, we wouldn't have seen that even five years ago, I don't think. so
1: no. And I know that they had a a huge intentionality around that, which is incredible to see. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's very exciting. Um, but again, I was in the women in tech lounge and I was excited to see that 20% of the people in the lounge were men. That was great. Cause it's not like excluding men. It's here's where women can gather, but men are allowed as well. Right. So I'm excited to see when we need, we don't need to have the women in tech or the women in this. It's just, here's the thing for all the people, you know? So yeah. yeah.
1: Or have those, those spaces just be for just to have space together where it's not just because we need to make a point, Mm -hmm. but we can just gather together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to creating our businesses, um entrepreneur entrepreneurship is very difficult. It can be very challenging for uh on the psyche, on the body, on all of the things like you said, like you just came off this wild whirlwind um tour uh to to bring all the real estate assets on board. How do you stay grounded through it all? What are what are the things that you come back to that keep you feeling like you through the process of entrepreneurship? Mm,
2: that's a good question. You know what? It's not easy. For sure. It's not easy. I actually attribute my instability as a child due to my parents being entrepreneurs, the fact that I can do this now, because, you know, throughout my 12, roughly 12 year entrepreneurial journey, there's been so many ups and so many downs. Um, I really love the mantra fail fast, because if you've never failed, you know, it's not easy to have an opinion or perspective when you've always been at the top, when you've always had everything and you don't know how to continue to be hungry and go for things. So personally, for me, I'm definitely an outdoorsy person. I I play sports. I, you know, I play sports on a team. Um, and I love camping. And this is one of the biggest reasons why I moved out West is I go hiking all the time, camping, sailing, you know, it's to me, uh, the outdoor lifestyle is what keeps me grounded. Um, you know, maybe it's cliche, but being in nature and just hanging out with my friends and, you know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky that my two co-founders are also friends of mine. They were, We were friends before we co-founded the company. Um, and when we are together outside of work, we don't always talk about work, which is very refreshing. Um, we have a healthy friendship outside of the business, which is, in my opinion, it's it's, yeah, it's refreshing and it's a necessity because I have a lot of people in my sphere who are also in startups and they literally work 24 seven. And I've done that before. I've done that in my past and other startups and it, you burn out and it's not sustainable. Of course, if you're in a sprint or if you're in a launch, that's very different, but you know, we make sure that we carve out time for fun. If we go on the road, let's say we're in Hong Kong, we save an extra day at the end and we have fun and we go on a tour or we do something exciting. Because if you're just you're leaving the conference, getting on an airplane, red eye, that kind of thing, it's it's draining. It really is. It's so
1: hard on the body. And I, I myself I experienced burnout in the past too. And I just think that we have an opportunity to show people that we can work differently and still be wildly successful Mm -hmm. and have full and meaningful lives. And I think that is like the best service we can do for this next generation of entrepreneurs, because even with my parents, like seeing them work so insanely hard and the stakes were different, um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, I'm a first-generation Canadian, and so I know that they were working – like, the way they were working, it was just what they had to do. But I can have a little bit more space, and I know that they would want that for me. So it's really special when we do get to take a little breath and choose to do things a little bit differently.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, I can't remember who first coined this term, but it was, um, you know, the work smart, not hard. Mm. And there's – you know, I see people, there's a lot of times – When you're just filling time by being having to sit at your desk, let's just say, um, and you could have done all that work within three hours. I I actually, a couple years ago, I tried to get a job in Toronto and for like a PR agency. And um, I was on like a trial, let's say, because I wasn't sure and they weren't sure. And I did my eight hours worth of work in two hours. And I was like, what do I do now? And I I remember asking the guy, I was like, what should I do? He's like, just sit there. I'm like, what? Such a waste of my time. So I was like, you know, (laughs) I was just doing other client work, which I was like, I'm not just going to sit here. So I was doing client work for my, you know, for my agency at the time. I'm like, I'm getting paid from this agency to do work for my, it just didn't make sense to me. So I didn't take the role, but I was like, I'm never just going to sit there and look busy.
1: no it's a different baseline. You know, when you have that baseline of excellence in what you want to do in the workplace, like the efficiency increases. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, when we are going into the workforce and we're just seeing the inefficiency, like, I know that that's why I also can't work for anybody Mm -hmm. because I'm like, I just do things in a different way. And I just can't be encumbered by a system that isn't like built for how I'm working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, from here, I like to jump into a little bit about like what, what is your motivation in life? Like what, what is your why when it comes to even outside of the business, but just the kind of life that you want to lead?
2: I think for me, it always comes down to freedom. You know, do I have the opportunity to go sailing at four o'clock today or 10 o'clock tomorrow if if I want to? And of course, you know, I have a team now and I have to be respectful of my co-founders, but it's the freedom to say, I'm going to do this for a few hours, and then I'll obviously put in other hours wherever. As an entrepreneur, your work never stops. So we can get very caught up in just doing work all the time. And, you know, I, I believe that the fun also shouldn't stop. So for me, it's it's just about the flexibility of... And actually, you know what? Another huge thing is the, the freedom to be creative, Um, in some roles and some friends of mine who are in positions, their job is this thing and they're not on the creative team or they're not on the marketing team. So even if they have ideas or opinions, their voices aren't heard. And that's actually what I truly love about being in a startup. Every single person who's on our team has a say in every single aspect. They have an opinion of, and that's the people that we hire. I don't want somebody just to sit inside this little box if you're on the marketing team and you think that the UI can be improved or the UX or whatever the case is, I want to know those things because that's what the startup ecosystem is all about.
1: And it is that collaboration. I was doing an interview um, on for the podcast and it, it was someone who is predominantly in Latin American markets and they just said the collaboration in Canada is next level and that the entrepreneurs that they were bringing up were just like, oh, business can be done in this collaborative way. And I just think that that really is so freeing in teams mm-hmm. when it's like, we do this together, we build this together mm-hmm. and your opinion matters.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: Definitely. Next up, I, I also like to get into, you know, what is that impact you hope to leave with your work and, and in your life? Like what is your, what are your thoughts on legacy and the kind of legacy you want to leave?
2: Yeah, I definitely have a lot of opinions around that. I, I guess, like even looking back to you know my my youth, i've I've always been the one to make change that I believe change should be there, for example. Um, I remember at my university i I was in a master's program, and I wasn't allowed to take certain courses because they were either too high of a level or too low of a level. I, I basically decided to create my own slew of courses that I could take and brought it to my advisor. And I, I put forth the reasons why I should be able to take certain courses and why certain things complemented each other and how I could even do my dissertation differently. Um, and when I once I presented it to her, she agreed with me and she allowed me to do it that way. And they actually also changed the curriculum around wow. that. Wow. So, it, for me, it was about seeing something like, why does it have to be done that way? Or why is it done in that fashion? Why can't it be done in, in a different way? So I feel like there's a lot of examples in my life where that has happened. Um, and it's not always necessarily about like solving a problem, but it's just about thinking about something from an alternative lens and, and seeing and questioning about, well, why is it always done in that fashion? And so, you know, when it comes to startups as well, I I believe, and I had this epiphany recently that I believe for me, startups reignited my love for business and for entrepreneurship because I came to a point where I had my, my agency and I, I wasn't really, there wasn't much more that I could do unless it was like, you know, get a brick and mortar, hire a team, that kind of thing. But I wasn't really interested in, in just doing it that way, but startups, just the way that Google and Facebook and these new companies um, have created an entirely different mentality around how we work, what vacation days should look like. And maybe it's the more of, of a European mentality, but I believe that I'm excited that that's the way that, it, that things are going and that people are coming on board. So in terms of, of my own legacy, for me, it would be about creating the changes that I see And just disrupting the status quo and allowing people and guiding people and showing them that everybody has a voice. And if you believe something, then we should be able to take that into consideration and alter things to shift how you operate, how you work, how you learn, how you live, because everybody is completely different. I don't know if that answered your question.
1: (laughs) Oh my God, it totally did. I was just taking it all in because I think it's so true. It's just like how can we diversify perspectives, diversify how we do things and look at problems and look at our lives and say, you know, could we actually shift this a little bit because we can. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And my last question for all my guests um, is a throw to the audience. It is, uh, what advice do you have for our audience so that they can thrive in their lives and their businesses?
2: Well, if I'm talking to entrepreneurs, as I said before, I think I think failing fast, not being afraid to fail. Um, you know, when I worked with um, in my agency, we worked with a lot of female entrepreneurs and females female-led startups, and everybody was just terrified to put themselves out there, be seen on video, say the wrong thing, get offended, offend people. And my opinion is offend people because you're going (laughs) to offend people by not offending people. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you're going to be doing yourself a disservice and, you know, you need to be continuously standing up for the way that you would like to run things because there's going to be a tribe of followers that believe what you believe. And yeah, I guess just combating the fear and putting it out there and, if it doesn't work out, awesome. <laughs> try the next thing. And I know that's really scary. Don't let scary. fear be
1: that guiding force. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I know it's
2: cliché and it's it's really scary, but it's you know, if if I didn't do the failures and and the setbacks and try the certain things and offend people obviously in in a specific way offending people, um if I didn't do those things then I wouldn't have got the confidence and the know-how and you know the resiliency, that's what entrepreneurship is all about. It's not about like falling. It's about continuously picking yourself back up and being able to carry on. If, if this is, and you know what, entrepreneurship and business is not for everybody. It truly isn't. But mm-hmm. if that's what truly works for you, like deep down, you just have to continue doing it.
1: I actually had this realization earlier this week where I realized like, the lifestyle of entrepreneurship and not like, you know, we talked about freedom, but it's, it's actually a bit of like, this is an everyday reality, like this way of thinking, this way of being this way of iterating products and, and this thought process and, and this gets to be forever. And so we get to live in this way for the rest of our lives. And I think that's so cool when we go beyond just the business we're in right now to like, this is the kind of life we get to
2: lead. I truly believe it's, it's a personality and it's who you are. Um, That can be learned of course as well. And you can flex those muscles, but like I'll never retire ever. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I don't need to financially earn an income, but I'm going to always be doing different projects because that's the creative side. And I think that unfortunately a lot of us lose that. Maybe it's through school or I'm not sure, whatever, but if you continuously have something that you're going after, that is continuous work. And that is entrepreneurship, whether it's just you know, starting a volunteer organization or something like that. It doesn't have to necessarily be for, for monetary reasons, right? So I think the idea of like retiring at 65 and sitting on a beach, I don't know. I think that people are changing how they even feel about that. I think consciousness is expanding. and. It's incredible to me what the millennials have been able to shift uh, and Gen Z, what they've been able to create and, and push for and, you know, disrupting the status quo. And I think it's something that a lot of us are now born with more and more.
1: It's so cool to watch and unravel. Mm-hmm. And, um I also just wanted to give a shout out because you uh, won the 2019 Startup Canada's Innovation Award for British Columbia with Retium and the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this is a Startup Canada hosted podcast, so we just want to give you that shout out. And um, we're so pumped for what Retium is building, and we hope that you know the award and, and the platform grows with with what you guys are, are looking to do next.
2: Thank you. Yeah, that was that was a really exciting moment for us. It was. You know, we've, we did win a, a, an award last year at a conference in Singapore, but to us, like winning something on, on our home soil, in our, in our ecosystem, with our tech startup people, that was really, really something to us. So we're very honored to have won that. And, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be some more awards coming, but, um, but yeah, it was a really, really good start.
1: I have a feeling there most certainly will be. Thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much,
1: Laura, for being on the show today. And I so enjoyed our conversation on all of the things. Thank
2: you. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook resources for women entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business and visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the startup canada podcast hosted by rivers corbett make sure to visit Corespace, k-a-u-r dot space to learn to better integrate work wellness and impact into your everyday life until next time i'm gomel minhas it's time to thrive